0: So I don't think that I really have to tell you this, but every now and then something happens in the world that makes us feel small. We're sort of maybe still in the middle of one of those things, or maybe it's over, or I don't, I don't know. Um, the pandemic has done that for us. Um, but, but it can really be just about anything. Uh, something comes along, and it reminds you that you are not in control. It reminds you that you are not the one that is calling the shots, and then it happens, and then we forget about it, and we kind of go back to life as normal. Maybe it's a new normal, um, and maybe you want to slap the next person that says, this is the new normal, but that's what it is, right? And then all of a sudden, bam, craziness again, and it happens again, and we're reminded again of how small that we are. And then we go back to forgetting, and then the next crazy thing happens. I read, uh, I read this poem the other day. Um, I'm trying to, like, get into poetry. Like, I've never kind of really been into it before. And, um, and there's this other campus minister. He's, like, really cool, and I really come to him. Like, he reads poetry, and so, like, I'm trying to be cool and read poetry. But I read this poem the other day. Um, it's called Watching the Perseids. Uh, and and it, says, uh, it says this. It says, The parrot, the Einstein of birds who can count and reason calmly in our tongue while outliving us, disdains the ostrich. For all its sprint records, the ostrich will be remembered for hiding from the truth. You can't outrun stupid. We, the people, hold some truths to be self-evident. Our magnificent brain and a body that can't flee, can't smell fear, can't hear death, can't see straight. And even so, our retinas with rods and cones, as intricate as any telescope array, evolve to see a predator slide out of the oblique shadow and give us time to bolt. We survey our closed dominion until we look up in August to find comet dust flaring in the night. This vastness, this vertiginous awareness, mocking gravity on our speck of now, wakes us with a recalibrating jolt. But soon, our familiar star will claw towards us in seven-league boots from the east, drawing its volume, uh, volume thread across our planet as if to cloak a birdcage, to muffle questions that blink through dark matter and would pour over us until we drowned, dreaming of amnesia. And that's just a really fancy way of saying we're really small and we forget about it a lot. Right? Because that whole thing about the, the ostrich not being able to outrun stupid... Because right, the ostrich is famous for doing what? burying his head in the sand. And so this semester, I'm hoping that the study that we're going to do is going to help us to recalibrate to this idea that there is something bigger than us. There is something outside of us. And so we're looking at places in Scripture where God asks, asks his people questions. That God comes to them and asks very direct, very pointed questions. And the reason we're doing that is because we need to be reminded that there is something out there. There is someone out there that has the right, that has the authority to ask us questions. There is something beyond us. There is a truth, a reality beyond just our truth. And there's a purpose and an order to the universe beyond what we create for ourselves. There is a meaning that exists beyond us. And that comes from God. And every now and then we get the sense of that, but we go right back to forgetting. And so again, God comes and asks us questions. But we begin tonight not with a question, but with a statement. God is telling us in Genesis 1 and 2 who we are. He is telling us who he designed us to be. And it's actually very important because this is where our relationship with God begins. With the creator-creation relationship. And look, there's there's a lot of stuff that you can do in Genesis 1 and 2. You can go off on a lot of tangents. And if you've ever spent five seconds with me, you know I'm really good at tangents. But we're trying. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Jagger. Um, but but we're we're trying to focus tonight specifically on this creator creation relationship. And I don't know what you're thinking when you hear Genesis one and two, um, but I know for me, like I was a I was the good Christian kid who kind of knew all the right answers, and I kind of knew that well, of course, I was made in the image of God because the Bible tells me that, and. So what? What's the point? Who cares? Well, I I hope we can look at why this matters so much. So the first, the the, the two things that we're looking at, who is God and who are we? And the answer to that, the first question, who is God? Actually, the answer to both of those questions is that God is the sovereign, good, covenant-making and keeping creator, and we who are made in his image reflect that. That's the, that's the, if you want to write down one sentence to say, what is this sermon about? It's that, that God is the sovereign, good covenant making and keeping creator. And we made in his image reflect that. So God is the creator and you are the reflector. Think about creators, right? We, we have this whole new like class of people in our society, thanks to the advent of like YouTube and Instagram and TikTok, um, these people called influencers, Right, and what influencers do? They just post all the time. They're always creating content. Always, they're trying to sell stuff, and they've become the new creative class. If you think about it, you think about it. Like uh, one one TikTok dance goes viral, and then what do you see for the next two weeks? The same TikTok dance, just over and over and over again. You get one meme format, and it just keeps going. And it's and it's like and it's kind of annoying, but it's just the way the world works. But but that's actually kind of um, that's actually kind of indicative of how we create. Think about think about the most beautiful piece of art or the most your favorite song. It's kind of why we asked you earlier, like what was the album that you kind of listened to to kind of get you thinking about um, a, a piece of art or a song or something that, that you that you love. Um, for me, uh, my favorite song by my favorite band is a song called "The Bird Hunters" by a band called the Turnpike Troubadours. Um, they're, they're an amazing band but I love this song because when I when I hear the song a it reminds me exactly where I was when I heard it for the first time. It brings me back to something that uh, my family was kind of going through as I heard it and, and so there's some there's some happiness and some sadness attached to that um, and and I, and I think it's a really brilliantly constructed song uh, The guy who wrote it is a, is a great songwriter and um, and it tells a really it tells a really uh, kind of like tragic, but also sort of happy story, it, it, it's just it's a it's a great song. But but think about whatever your favorite song is, whatever your favorite piece of art is. The only thing that that artist or that writer has done is taken things that already existed and rearranged them in creative ways that maybe you haven't heard before, right? So when we go back to the Bird Hunters, all of the words are words that already existed that the guy that wrote the song just arranged in a new way. All the the rhythms, those rhythms have been around forever. And he just kind of put them together differently. And he put them on, on top on top of chords that were played on instruments that both already existed. And there were organized and recorded. I mean, you know, it, it goes on. We could just go on forever and ever this. But the, the point is that that's the way that we create as humans. We take things that already exist and we rearrange them. And look, that, that's reflect, like creating in that way is reflecting the image of God, right? You see Adam doing that as God takes all the things that he created and Adam names them. Like that's being creative. But God creates and created differently than us in two pretty significant ways. And the first way is that God creates something out of nothing. We didn't read all of Genesis 1 because that would have taken a really long time. And we've already been through like a million announcements and things like that. But when you go through Genesis 1, it is God creating everything that is seen out of nothing simply by the power of his word. That God speaks and it happens. There was no light and then God spoke and there was light. There was no land, and God spoke, and there was land. That there's nothing else in the world, no matter how creative, how influential, how powerful, nothing that creates like that. But then the other way that God creates, and we see this in, in Genesis 2-7, that God breathes, breathes life into things that are lifeless. It says, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed life into his nostrils, the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Nothing else works that way. In fact, like the entire like science fiction genre exists because people have tried to dream up what would happen if we could do that. And it always ends badly, like every single time. Um, but God exists in and of himself. He doesn't need anything. God is the author of life. God speaks and things happen. And even the most powerful in the world can't do that. Think about what Isaiah says in Isaiah 40. It says, "Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, and enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance?" Who's done that? It's only God. Um, the movie, uh, the movie Men in Black, which is like, which is like prime late '90s Will Smith, which is also like kind of a, a niche of like entertainment. I'm, I'm pretty into. Like it's. A little embarrassing. Um, but but Men in Black ends with this incredible scene where where Agent J, who is Will Smith's character, he gets into his car and they're driving off and then all of a sudden the camera starts to, to pull back. And it pulls back over the city and then it pulls back and you see the entire Earth and then it pulls back and you see our entire solar system. And then it pulls back and you see the entire Milky Way galaxy. And then it goes back even further and what you see is that all the galaxies are contained in these little marbles that these massive aliens are playing with. And he just kind of casually puts in a little bag like a child would put his toys away and just sets them aside. And I love that scene because it gives us a sense of how small that we really are. And we need to remember that we're small, right? Like like you're in college because you have to some degree or another conquered the world, right? Like you you, you passed high school, you made it here. You're a big, you need to remember that you're small. But that's actually good news, and we'll come back to that. But I think that what's so interesting about the poem that I read to you at first in this scene from Men in Black is that these are not people that are looking at the world from God's perspective. They're they're looking at the world primarily from a man-centered perspective, and they have this sense of this finiteness or finitude, I don't know what the word is, but the limitations that we have as people, right? They get that. But think about this um in 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 Job uh in Job um 38 which is which is God reminding Job who created the material world and controls everything in it in verses uh 4 and 5 it says this where were you when i laid the foundation of the earth tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurement surely you know now look besides god like getting pretty snarky with job which is hilarious um least to me, uh, God is reminding Job the same way that he reminds us, that his acts of creation, his work in creation are not our acts of creation. And the fact that they're so different than ours that we can't even begin to comprehend the scale of it. Right? Like, like in Isaiah 40, again, God's using that illustration of containing the universe in the span of his hand that really is saying that like, this is incomprehensible for you. You don't understand this. And one mistake that we tend to make, especially if you grew up in the church, is that we think of God as only being near. Now, God is near. And in this passage, it's very clear if you know what you're looking for. But God is near to us. God is present with us. But we also have to remember that He's, in another sense, not near. That God is transcendent. He is beyond our wildest imagination. He's completely out of our reach. And unless He had decided to reveal Himself to us, through his word and through creation, we would have no clue. The the Westminster Larger Catechism, which is this series of of questions and answers that help us kind of understand the Christian faith, uh, it asks the question in question seven, who is God? It says this, God is a spirit in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, Almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. And that's a really fancy way of saying God is not you. And, and, and God does not ever make the mistake of thinking he's you. Um, there's a writer named, named Anne Lamott, um, and she, she famously said one time that the biggest difference between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. Think about that one for a second. Um, At the end of the day, the point here is that God is the sovereign creator of the universe. He's completely and totally independent of us. So as we look at these questions that God asks us, as we're going to explore this this semester, we have no choice but to acknowledge that God has the right and the position to do it. And that's the simple simple truth that we need to be able to grasp and continue to look at. But like I said, God is near to us. And, and, and in Genesis two, we see that because whenever you're reading your Bible, um, and if, if you've been to REF, you've heard this spell before, but you're going to continue to hear it because it's really cool. Whenever you're reading your Bible, and you're reading in Genesis, you're reading in the Old Testament, and you see uh, you see the word Lord, and it's written like in like all uppercase, but it's also like smaller. It's kind of confusing, and I've not figured out how to recreate that on my own computer. Um, That that actually is the translation of God's covenant name that God gave to Moses. Think about that. What's What's the most basic thing that you can know about somebody? If you came here tonight, you put on a name tag, I hope, so that everybody would be able to look at you and know your name. And that's what God has done by giving his name to his people. You know me. I am near to you. I am with you. That's what is happening, that God is with Adam in the garden. God gives Adam a task. God gives Adam and Eve good gifts. And the Bible tells us that God has created us in his image. So you were made to be a reflector of him. And there are two words here that you've probably heard before, image and likeness. And I don't know, um, I, I try not to use like too many like, sports references, but... I kind of—I probably do too much. I'm sorry, but uh, but a, a couple months ago, um, uh, college athletes began to get the right to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. And so, and so, what that means is they can now put their names out there and and they can get paid for it, which is which has never legally happened before. Um, because nobody nobody cheats in college sports, and now that it's legal, everybody's getting paid. But um, and what 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 was what was really fascinating was the most, like the athlete that, that lined up the most deals like immediately wasn't a football player, wasn't a basketball player, it was a gymnast from LSU. Because she already had a following of like 1.5 million people. She already kind of did her thing on Instagram where she would like, oh, this is how I fix my hair every day. This is my workout routine. These are the clothes that I buy, like whatever. And everybody's like, oh, we follow her. And so all of a sudden, everybody wants to put her name, image, and likeness on something So they can sell their product. So we kind of get this idea of an image. You bear God's image and likeness, but why is that important? Consider this. Um, In the ancient Near East, which which is the time that Genesis was written, in the ancient Near East, it was widely believed that a God spirit lived in any statue or image of that God with the result that the image could function as a kind of representative or substitute for the God wherever it was placed. It was also customary in the ancient Near East to think of a king as a representative of a god. And obviously the king ruled and the god was the ultimate ruler. So the king must be ruling on the god's behalf. It is therefore not surprising that these two separate ideas became connected and a king came to be described as an image of a god. And if it bore the image of a god, it became a god itself. Right? That was how the ancient Near Eastern culture worked. And it's against that backdrop that God calls every human that he made an image bearer of him. And so if you think about that, other cultures look at kings and rulers like they're the gods and the people are just kind of a little insignificant, cast them aside, not a big deal. But Genesis is saying that every single human being bears the image of God. You're not simply a more evolved animal. You're not the next step in evolutionary development. You are not an insignificant creature. This is mind blowing. It is completely countercultural, because what would it mean for you to believe that you were made in the image of God, and that every single human being around you was also made in the image of God? And we don't we don't do this like at, like human history is just one big bad example of getting this wrong, <laughs> right? Like think about um, every culture, every point in human history has found people that they believe to be subhuman. The Romans and the barbarians at the gates, the Nazis and the Jews, abortion, caste systems in various cultures, racism, um, class, all, all these different isms, right? They all show us that we are really good at forgetting that we are made in the image of God and that you are made in the image of God. But Genesis tells us something completely different. If you look at the people around you, regardless of what they look like, what they believe, what they do, or anything else... You see people who bear the image of God, and uh, and C.S. Lewis writes this. And also, if you stick around RF, I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis a lot, so just go and get ready for that. Um, you should. All, this is my this is my first official book recommendation to you. Is like get the Chronicles of Narnia and read them. This is not from the Chronicles of Narnia, but you should still read them. But C.S. Lewis says this. He says there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. That every single person that you have ever talked to is an image bearer of the living God. And so this thing that we do where we find the worst thing about somebody and then define their whole being by that, that's wrong. That is, that is a sin against the image of God. It's denying the full humanity of another person because it denies all the good of the imago Dei, the image of God. So this is the interactive portion. We don't usually do this. And everybody's getting a little nervous right now. Who knows me? Um, but I want, you to, I want you to make eye contact with somebody. Turn and look at somebody. And I want you to look at them. Do it, everybody. And see Blake's not doing it. A couple people aren't doing it. Look, look, look at somebody, and I want you to look at them, and I want you to say, "Good evening, Your Majesty." Good evening, Your Majesty. Right. So that's a little uncomfortable, right? I don't always make you do that, but it's 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 this is driving home the point that the person that you just looked at and said, "Good evening, Your Majesty," bears the image of a king. Not just a King, the King. And so if you believe that, if you believe that about yourself, if you believe that about every person that you interacted on campus, what would that do? How would that change the way that you saw them? How would that change the way that you celebrated with them? How would that change the way that you mourned with them? How would that change the way that you disagreed with them? All of a sudden, you're wrong, therefore I hate you which is kind of how we discuss things with each other, becomes you're made in the image of God and we may disagree, but I'm not allowed to look past the image of the king of the universe that you bear. So what does all this mean? What do we do with this? The first thing is that you need to be attached to something transcendent. You need to be connected with something beyond you, something bigger than you. Um, there is a, uh, there's a song by an artist you might know uh, named Olivia Rodrigo. Um, this song is called The Rose Song. And she says this. She says, Because I'm more than what I am to you. You say I'm pretty, but I've got magic that you never knew. And I won't be confined to your point of view. I'm breaking through the glass you put me in. Because my beauty is from within. If your beauty is from within, I am so Sorry. <laughs> cuz here's the thing we all know ourselves and we can we can just try to come up with all these different ways that like oh i'm actually beautiful on the inside this i mean this is actually great everything's fine you know it's the the the, the meme with the dog and the house is on fire it's like this is fine like we all know that's what we all know that's what really going on that's really really going on in our hearts but the bible tells you that no your beauty does not come from within you it doesn't come from within you any more than the moon can produce its own light you are beautiful because you bear the image of God. And that is God's point of view towards you. And you were designed to be connected with that and to reflect that. But the second thing is that when you look through the creation account, you see that man has been given a task. In Genesis 1, 28, God says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You have a purpose. You have a reason that you are here at Carson Newman. You have a calling. You have a task. You have a reason to be here. You have a reason to see your calling as creation care. You have a reason to pursue things like relationships and marriage and families. To pursue jobs. To pursue careers. That God made these things and he calls them good. And as an image bearer, you share in that. And I want you to see what that, what that results in. And it's the last verse. It leads to this perfect relationship with God and with man. That we see that Adam and Eve were designed, they were created to live in the presence of God. And in the presence of another. To be naked and unashamed. Isn't that what we all long for? That somebody would see us for who we really are. And really, actually love us to see us for all of our mess and all of our shame, and it's there and we're getting to it next week, but that they would look at that and say, I see that and I love you anyway. So that begs the question, why aren't you? And these are the questions that God begins to ask us. Why are you hiding? Why are you so angry? Where is your brother? What are you looking for? What do you want me to do for you? These are all questions we're going to explore together in the weeks to come. The point is this, that God is an intensely personal, perfectly sovereign, good creator, and you were designed to reflect that. And that's really good news. So I want to close with this story. A friend of mine, um, a fellow campus minister, uh, told this story a long time ago. So if he ever hears this and he tells me not to tell the story again, I won't, I won't tell it. It's his story, but preachers still stuff so from other preachers all the time. So it's a little secret to what we do. He told me this story about this, this couple that he knew in college, right? There was this girl And she was the kind of girl that just everybody was drawn to. Uh, She loved Jesus. She loved people well. Um, She was she was kind of always serving on campus. Just everybody really admired this girl. And there was this there was this guy that did uh, that did really like her. He really wanted to date her. Um, But there was a problem that she was dating somebody else. And the guy that she was dating was not a good guy. And she knew that she knew that this was a bad relationship. That she was not supposed to be in this relationship. Um, but as we tend to do at times, we just kind of stay in bad relationships. If you're in a bad relationship, this is my encouragement to get out of it. We can talk about it. We'll do a one-on-one. It's fine. Anyway, so, so, so what ended up happening was this girl, um, got, got pregnant by her, by her boyfriend. And when he found out, he found out that she was going to keep the child. He broke up with her. And, um, so the other guy hears that they've broken up. He doesn't know why. He hears they've broken up. And so he, he waits a respectable amount of time, gives it a couple weeks, and he just says, hey, like, I'd love, to, I'd love to take you out. And she's excited. She's like, yeah, let's do it. And then, and then this guilt and shame comes over her, and she, and she calls him back and says, look, I understand that this is a deal breaker, but you, you need to know that, that I'm pregnant. And he said, that's great. I love pregnant women. and they went on the date and they got married and he adopted the child as his own and they have a bunch of their own kids now but I, i tell you that story because isn't that what you want isn't that the deepest longing of your soul that you can reveal the most shameful thing about you the thing that you hope Nobody ever finds out. And the thing about being pregnant is, like, people eventually find out. (laughs) Like, it kind of becomes obvious. And you can't hide it. So isn't that the deepest longing of your soul, that you would reveal the thing that is the most shameful about you? And the person you tell it to would say, cool, I love those kinds of people. That's the gospel. That is what... The God that created you wants from you. He wants those deep, dark corners of shame that you just can't this is the thought of the, the thought of the person sitting next to you right now finding out would you would just melt into this concrete floor and just never be seen again that God wants that from you. that this is what you were made for to be fully known and fully loved by a God who is an intensely personal, perfectly sovereign good creator who you were designed to reflect. And that's what we're looking at this semester. We're going to open the Bible and we're going to look at these questions each week. Why do we hide? Why do we experience shame? We're taking that on together. And if that's the slightest bit interesting to you, then consider this an invitation to come back. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given it to us. Um, Father, thank you for uh, the longings and the desires that you give us, that you fulfill yourself. Lord, you know that we were created to reflect your glory and you know that we don't. You know that because of our sin that we have brought shame into our lives and that we are running, we're hiding. Lord, would you call us back to you? Father, for those of us that know you and trust you yet are hiding behind something, hiding from something great, Lord, would you give us the courage to... To own that, to confess that, to repent of that, and to return to you, Lord. And for those of us that don't know that yet, Lord, would tonight be the night, God, that your grace would show us that we actually have something better than being naked and unashamed. But we have the full righteousness of Christ that he clothes us in. Lord, would you do that tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.